Hi, I'm Jesse, and welcome to Red Cloaks Radio, where we are counting down in Massachusetts to see if the legislature will or will not pass the Roe Act before the end of this legislative session. And joining me today are my fantastic co-hosts. Martha from the Boston Red Cloaks. And also... I'm Karen from the Bill Rigged Democratic Town Committee and Boston Red Cloak. I'm happy to introduce Lisa O'Connor, who's the current vice chair of the Bill Rigged Democratic Town Committee, and very excited to present Teresa English, who's running as a Democrat, challenging the incumbent for state house rep in Bill Welcome. We are so excited to have you both here today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank Good you morning. for having us. Today is July 22nd. And um, it's near the end of the legislative session. It's a very dynamic time there with lots happening. But let's start with you. So uh, what made you decide to run? Like most of us, our world was turned upside down in March. Um, I'm a high school history teacher in Lawrence. um, And the pandemic has affected my students in dramatic ways. It's affected me on a personal level. And it's affected everyone in a variety of ways that the government could and should be mitigating, right? We don't have to be struggling like we are. We don't have to have lines to go to the food bank um, so that children can eat. As a government Massachusetts has a responsibility to its residents and we are failing a lot of our residents and it's unacceptable. So I looked around and said, how can I help? What can I do to make a difference? And the thing that I can do to make the biggest difference is to be a representative for Bill Ricca and actually pass legislation and work with other legislators to create a better society than we currently exist in. What subject do you teach in high school? I teach U.S. history. Wow, that is really cool. Okay, so you are walking the walk. I am walking walking the walk. It's great. I'm Um, excited to tell my students what I'm doing uh, because it'll be yet another living example of how history is all around us all the time. Let's unpack some of what you shared because there's a lot there. Uh, Right now, unemployment in America is at 11%. And so you're right, looking at the state, we are not in a great place. Unemployment here has also risen. We're coming near the end of July. People are going to potentially not have the same protections they first had under COVID, unless at the national level, they pass more relief legislation. So I'm really interested in what you pointed out in terms of the state. What are some ways that you feel like things could have been done better or we could improve? Because COVID doesn't seem to be going away. No, it's um, from a scientific perspective, um, all the evidence shows that this is a, as a novel virus, we do not have any immunity to it and it is very virulent. There is no return to normal until we have a vaccine. And when the science and the evidence all point to a specific path, It is irresponsible for the government to be trying to force students back into the classroom when it's not safe. It's um, the fact that we are allowing evictions to be 
potentially back on the table in October when we're expecting another wave and the flu will also be going around. Um, it's We can't live one month at a time. It is not responsible for business owners who count on the government to make those payments. Um, it's our tax dollars are not being dedicated to things that they need to be. Um, it's we have had enough information now to where we can make a plan for the future and instead of living a month at a time. There's actually a Facebook meme that has a picture of a woman in three different stances. And one says, uh, kids are going back to school full time and she's making an unhappy face. One says, kids staying at home, she's making the same unhappy face. And one says, hybrid model, and she's making the same unhappy face. We're at a place right now where if people can't send their kids to school, it's impacting their ability to work. On the other hand, they don't want to send their kids to school because they don't want to get their kids sick and they don't want to make educators sick. Right. So I'm sure you're hearing and following this wide range of parental points of view. How do you help balance and communicate out since you yourself are an educator? What are your tips for talking to parents about this difficult balance? It is a difficult balance. Every family has different circumstances that influence their approach to this. And I understand politicians that want to make their constituents happy, but this is not something that can be ignored and it can't be swept under the rug and everyone just go back to normal. As a mother, I don't want my kids to be subjected to an environment that is not educational, right? The, the move to open schools seems to be more about the need to get kids out of the house so that we can all work, right? I work from March to June with my two kids at home. I understand how incredibly frustrating and impossible it is to get stuff done when your kids are always running around. However, education requires contact. It requires communication. And it is not possible to be an effective educator behind a mask, six feet away from all students in a very dystopian environment in the classroom. And I teach in Lawrence. So I am really concerned about how remote learning was conducted back in the spring. And I want to see the conversation be less about how do we get kids in the classroom and more about how do we educate students and how do we take care of all of the societal needs that schools have been tasked with. Okay, so um, I see from your first statement that um, from all the persons that we have talked to, you're the first one that talks about food banks. So how do you see that COVID has affected different groups? So one of the reasons why food banks are why the Bill Rickett Community Food Bank is important to me is because um, many years ago, I was in a different financial place than I am now, and we relied on the food bank in order to feed our kids. So I understand the, the personal impact that it has on just to go to someone and ask for help. That is a very difficult thing to do. And I love the humanity that is part of the Bill Ricca Community Pantry. There's 
no shame um, involved. And that's something that I dealt with when I had to seek out um, help. The Billerica Food Pantry is providing foods for many more residents in Billerica than at any other time. The lines have gotten longer, the requests have increased. It's concerning that when unemployment is so high and we are more isolated than other than ever before, we should not be relying on the kindness of a few people to feed large numbers of our residents. So I want to turn our conversation to something we haven't really discussed, which is the role of politics in Massachusetts, i.e. political parties. So for example, you're running as a Democrat and you're running in a place that has had a stronghold from a Republican incumbent for quite a while. So I'd like to turn over to Lisa and know from your town committee's point of view, what's it like over there thinking about having Teresa running? We're really excited to have Teresa as a candidate running. She has all the drive and, all, and she wants to run for all the right reasons. It's always been something she wanted to do. It's been tough in a red town. This town is, I think, pretty sure either voted for Trump or very narrowly, barely did it. And we've had a tough time running against Mark. He's been a long time incumbent. We just, we really think this is the year we think Teresa's the great choice to go against Mark. She's a strong candidate, has really good ideals and drive, and she's got a great support system behind her too, which is a huge help. So we have a lot of Democrats within Bill Ricker, and now with uh, even the surrounding towns, they're really excited to support her candidacy. Karen, you've been watching the scene there, um, specifically with the Roe Act. So I'm curious about what it's been like interacting with the incumbent and what it looks like for you meeting someone who is giving you another alternative. It has been difficult. And I, um, I, my conversations with him started right after this sexual health lobby day in January 2019, and he was not available. He wasn't in the office. And that disturbed me because immediately my feeling was, you represent me. And that just stayed with me. And a few days later, I sent him an email and I said, I'm really upset that you weren't there. You represent me, my voice isn't being heard. And uh, he, uh, he took offense because I did have kind of an attitude, but he took offense, but he calmed right down really fast. And then we had a, an in-person meeting and my basic theme was you don't represent me you don't represent my values you don't represent the values of anybody that i know in this town why do you vote against uh women's reproductive freedom for example and he immediately got uh, active again and he said well i i follow my I follow my beliefs and uh, they must be right because uh, I keep getting reelected. And I said, but you're not, you're not speaking to, to all of us. I said, do you give town halls? Do you have open meetings? Uh, how do you get the word around so that people can interact? And he said, well, you know, once a month, he has an hour and a half office time at senior citizens facility. Subsequently, I do write to him from time to time, and I ask him why his position is such on certain 
issues related to women's reproductive freedom because he, as Republican, likes to think of small government and he doesn't like to spend money on social, um, what he would, well, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Uh, he, he, he often does not like to spend money that he could to help with social uh, efforts in, in the town. And every time I speak to him, he, he shows a lack of understanding of what the Roe Act actually says. He has aligned himself very, very strongly with the anti-choice groups, NARAL, Planned Parenthood, give him an F rating, and he has earned it. So for me to have a woman, a woman like Teresa, a woman who teaches, is an educator, teaches history, is also a mother and a wife, and an Air Force veteran, uh, who strongly supports the Roe Act. This has me very excited, and I think that this is our year to take back this position from the Republicans. Thank you so much for that, Karen. That was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> if he gets an F on choice, and you're a teacher, Teresa, if you were self-grading, what would you give yourself when it comes to this subject? Oh my, um, apparently running for office is not going to be good for humility. Um, <laughs> but um, I would give myself an A because I am in complete support of the Roe Act. It should have been passed long ago. And I don't understand why it's still in committee. And we're wondering too, right? We're uh, July 22nd, so there's 10 days slash nine days, depending how you count, how much we can get done in one day. <laughs> but it is interesting to have a contrast then. You are going against Mark Lombardo, but he has been a select man and been in government in, town, in the town of Bellarica. What have you done for people to get to know you? I am a town meeting member. I was elected in 2019. So I've been a town meeting member since April of 2019. I am an elected member of the Democratic Town Committee. I volunteer in with various organizations in town um, financially and with my time. I haven't lived in Billerica as long as Mark Lombardo. My time in Billerica has been full of making positive changes around me, whether it's cleaning up trails or the river, whether it's working to enact green policies that benefit our climate and our ability to survive coming issues such as flooding and natural disasters. I have always championed for people that are often overlooked in society. So I think I've done more in my three years in Borica than Mark has been able to as a state legislator. It also sounds like you believe in science. My bachelor's degree is in a, bi a biology concentration. So yes, uh, the scientific method is generally how I live my life, where I want evidence that is empirical and peer-reviewed and from multiple sources before I make a decision or implement some type of action. It seems like a crazy thing to have to say out loud, but in across the country, 
given the person in the White House, it's really become a political issue whether you do or don't believe in science. And it ties back to where you opened our conversation, talking about public health and thinking about COVID and how you support people when there is a novel virus. And mm -hmm. those, those things working their way into your conversation so fluidly are a great mm -hmm. contrast. What else would you like to run for after you run for this and win, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this has been a crazy journey so far. And imagining anything beyond what is happening right now is, I, I never thought I would be on a podcast, much less like, you know? Um, Let's go back to the real act. Where we are right now is there's only nine, 10 days left, but there's a big flurry of activity at the state house as all the different people with different issues that they are focused on send out their emails, call your legislator, you know, because some lucky number of bills will move forward suddenly until they do at least two things. One is be more transparent because once something goes into a committee, we as constituents know nothing. So it's, mm -hmm. it's been there since last June and we have literally nothing. Maybe they all love it and they're just waiting. Maybe they all hate it. Maybe it's split. We don't know. So unless it comes to the floor for a vote, we don't know. But even then, unless there's a roll call, we don't know how our people voted. So there's this pledge floating around asking legislators if they would take a pledge to, um, to be more transparent. Are there other ways besides that pledge that you would offer constituents communication about your views on the Roe Act or any other subject? Absolutely. There are a number of members of the House who have fantastic websites and social media teams that are constantly putting information out to their constituents. I want to model that behavior. One of the things that I am focused on right now to build up for next year is having community-based meetings. So our current representative, I've never been able to meet with him because I am busy during the day. I have a full-time job. And even during the summer, I have two kids at home. So going to the senior center in the middle of the day once a month has never been an option for me. And I know most of Vilrica is in that same circumstance. So I want to go to Pinehurst. I want to have meetings with people in Pinehurst. I want to go I want to be in North Vilrica at Panera having coffee with constituents. I want to stay in constant contact because otherwise, how can I represent the people who voted for me? And even those who didn't, how can I represent them if I never talked to them? That was absolutely right on because that is not what we have had uh, from the current statehouse rep since the day he started. Once someone gets elected, we've been told that all they really care about is getting elected again. And mm -hmm. so that the productivity rate goes down once you're across the finish line. What do you feel like from your perspective, if you're elected, how will, how will you feel about that? One of the things I think is important to be an effective leader is to surround yourself with good people and to have a good staff. My time will not be spent on Twitter picking fights with others, it will be writing legislation and working with people from all areas of Massachusetts to put in policies that are beneficial to all of us. And if I don't win the next election, well, guess what? I'll go back to being a history teacher. That's my passion. That's my first love is teaching high schoolers how to be more empowered. So if I don't win an election, okay. 
but I want to. I want to be in there as long as possible and to do as much good. So if you um, win the election, would you have to give up teaching? I will take a leave of absence. I've been in contact with the administration of my school to ensure that there will be uh, procedures put in place for after I win the election so that there will not be another traumatic experience for my students. I think it's very, it speaks very, very well of you that you are thinking ahead of time of anything that would happen, all the options. Either you win or you lose, there's options on the table. That's how I conduct everything. <laughs> so when you speak about your high school students in Lawrence, Lawrence is a less affluent community with fewer resources. The schools are notably under-resourced. Have you experienced or seen teens who would have been impacted by the current aspect of Massachusetts law that has judicial bypass, namely teens who find themselves with an unwanted, unplanned pregnancy and have to get permission from their parents or go to a court? Is that something that you've come across? People don't always tell their teachers. I have developed good relationships with a number of students where they view me as a trusted adult. So I've had conversations with students at the high school about pregnancy scares or how to tell their parents that they're pregnant. I've had multiple students who were pregnant and unsure about how to go forward. It is heartbreaking to see a child because they are still children at 15 or 16 who do not have trusted adults in their life. I was very fortunate growing up to where I had a, I had two parents that cared about me deeply and that I could trust with something like an unplanned pregnancy or when I was sexually molested. I was able to tell them that is not the case for some students. Lawrence isn't unique in that. But because they are chronically underfunded, there are less resources available to them. So I'm really excited that the Roe Act will take away one of those barriers of going in front of a judge and having to ask for permission to do something that a doctor should be approving, not a judge. And that tension for teens of telling their parents, whether they live in Lincoln or Cambridge or out in Western Mass, North, wherever they're living, it's, it's a historic tension. Your right. sensitivity is very much appreciated because this is an aspect that not a lot of people want to talk about. It's a little uncomfortable. I appreciate you're also sharing your own experience when you talked about your childhood and your youth and being able to talk to parents with difficult circumstances. Thank you for sharing that with us too. When you're elected, what's the number one thing you want to do? Maybe you should have a top two or three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just want a couple. My, my top three priorities are education reform. 
transparency and accountability and racial and social justice. That encompasses an awful lot. Yes. But there is an awful lot that needs to be done. I think we will find, uh, I believe we will find with Teresa, a very compassionate state representative and one who will hear every voice and one who will put our goals ahead of anything, any of her personal goals. And that she will turn the tide of the face of Billerica as one that is a democratic town and I small d that and one that is truly a member of the common wealth of Massachusetts. Here, here. I can't agree enough with Karen what she said with Teresa we are going to have an empathetic intelligent representative who is willing to listen to all her constituents we do have a much more diverse residence than people realize and I think Teresa will be able to acknowledge and respect and listen to all of them and bring their voices to the state house so glad that you spent this time with us thank you, thank you everyone thank, thank you so much for, for being here <laughs>